Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 And hello and welcome in to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios in Midtown. We are closing out this weekend and closing out a 10-game road trip that, man, this time a week ago, if I told you the Braves had a chance to go out there and not just win a couple of series, not just maybe sweep a series, but how about win all three series and maybe sweep a couple of them, you'd be feeling pretty good about the trajectory of this club as they close it out in Los Angeles and uh, as I just posted out on social media. Let me just tell you, the Braves, well, they went ahead and made a statement out in Los Angeles. And this is a series that I think so many fans across baseball, both in the Atlanta area and Braves country in general, and, of course, out in Los Angeles, they had this circled on the calendar because it was going to be the team with the best record in baseball in one corner that has been pretty much the the cream of the crop in the National League this year, along with the team that has been the cream of the crop in the National League for quite some time and the hottest team in baseball. You had the Braves. You had the Dodgers. You were feeling like this was going to be a heavyweight fight, and round one really made me feel like it was going to be. But then the Braves were able to get through that round. They were able to take the second round and the third, and now all of a sudden Atlanta has its first series win in Dodger Stadium since 2012. Whenever you do something about every 10 or 11 years, you know it's pretty special, and I would say just being able to win this series and you know, get you that momentum coming home for an off day on Monday and, of course, Looking ahead to what October is going to ask of this club, you want to know that you can check some boxes and pass some tests. And I would say that the Braves did a little bit of all of that. And maybe it felt like one big standardized test. I would say that the grading and the the scale that's going to come back is going to be quite favorable to the Braves as far as power rankings are concerned. And, oh, yeah, there's that little matter of this MVP debate that we've been having. And it's been a good one. It's been an interesting one. And there are some worthy candidates out there. But Ronald Acuna Jr., what he is doing, If you had not noticed before, or if you were outside of the Braves' stratosphere and somehow had not really caught on to what he was doing beyond just this assault on 30-30, 40-40, 30-60, the club that he joined this week that we're going to talk about a little bit later, you've been missing some of the best baseball that you're going to see by any player of any age and any generation. That is how special Ronald Acuna Jr. has been uh, all season long, and he took it to the Dodgers over the first three games of this series, and what a week for him it truly was. He gets married on the first day of that series in L.A. on Thursday, then goes out and hits a grand slam home run to make some history. The Braves used that beginning against Lance Lynn to power themselves to a victory. It wasn't pretty at the end, but as I've often said, you can win ugly, but you can't lose pretty. And the Braves, they'll take that ugly win in game one if they need to, and It looked a lot better the last couple of days, but be that as it may, there's a lot to get into from that series. We're going to unpack all of that. We're going to talk about the greatness of Ronald Acuna Jr., that MVP debate, of course, because I think that if there was a statement to be made, as I mentioned, and and you were just curious, like, 
what was going to be the answer to an historic month, the likes of which Mookie Betts just put up in August. And I'm an appreciator of great baseball. And Mookie Betts is a great baseball player. Ron Lacuna Jr. has had just this continual greatness, a consistency to the greatness that he has put on and creating your own club as far as power speed is concerned. It's just one more little credential, maybe big credential, that you could put on. And the power, we're seeing it. A lot of folks have kind of wondered, well, is Ronald going to hit the home runs he needs to get to 40-40? I'm not sure. Looks like he might top out at 35. And I don't know how many he's going to hit over the next 27 games, but the fact that he went into Los Angeles and, I don't know, put on a power display the likes of which nobody had this year because he has the hardest hit ball in Major League Baseball, a 454-foot home run to dead center field at Dodger Stadium on Saturday night at 121.2 miles per hour. If you break StatCast, do you win the MVP? I think it's a decent question anyway. If you push StatCast to the very bounds of which it can calculate, do you have an MVP case? But perhaps, perhaps. But it's just one of the many things that Ronald Acuna Jr. does. But just kind of going back to it, this road trip has been exactly what the Braves needed and, and then some. Because as hot as Los Angeles was in the month of August, I mean, the Braves had turned around and I believe now have won 20 of their last 25 games. That's pretty hot last time I checked. I mean, the Braves went 21-4 and in the month of June, and you kind of wondered, I mean, are they going to be able to do this again? Are they playing their best baseball too early in the season? I don't know that that's really a thing, honestly. I think you just start playing great. You get through this 162, and then you get to October, and everything resets. And then you just got to play the teams that are in front of you, and you got to hope that you get hot at the right time. And I think that's really a big part of what the October story is and will be again this year. But You do want to be trending in that right direction. You do want to be playing your best baseball. I think down the stretch, there's a lot to be said for that, as opposed to maybe backing into the playoffs and, you know, feeling like you're really not operating at the optimal level. You're missing a few pieces and you're kind of leaking oil heading into the the home stretch. I don't think the Braves are feeling that way at all. In fact, they've added the pieces that they need to, a couple at the trade deadline, just a couple of relievers, maybe a little backup infielder. You got Max Fried back. And man, did he look terrific at Dodger Stadium in his start on Friday night. One of the best starts of his career, one of the best starts, definitely his best start of the season, let me put it that way. And when you think about the backdrop of being a kid from that area, growing up, going to Dodger Stadium, and of all the pitchers that you pick as a lefty, you idolize Sandy Koufax, you get to go out there on his mound and throw that kind of game with the Dodgers, I think you can feel pretty good about the direction that Max Fried is trending, and I think Max Fried should be feeling pretty good about that as well. But as this road trip got started, with the two out of three that you took out in San Francisco, sure, that finale got away from you, but you go to Colorado, and I've talked about this a lot over the years, and especially this week. I mean, you can go in against a Rockies team that's going nowhere, but when your pitching staff has to weather what the high altitude can do to you, not only can it be a tough series in Colorado, even if you win it, but then on the other side of that, like how's everybody going to come out of that serious feeling once you drop down to normal altitudes and have to kind of get back to it? Your body just responds differently to that particular set of circumstances and, and those surroundings. And to know that you're going to have to come out of that Colorado series and go right into a place that you haven't won a series in over 10 years. I went back and looked this up. When the Braves won their last series against the L.A. Dodgers, it was the Chipper Jones Retirement Tour of 2012. It was late April. The winning pitchers in those two games out of the three that the Braves won, Johnny Venters, Eric O'Flaherty, and Craig Kimbrell saved both of them. So you were in the height of the Oventbrill era, which was a pretty good one, to be honest. I mean, that was a nice little trio of relievers. I mean, the night shift 
kind of spoiled us a couple years ago, but the Eric O'Flaherty, Johnny Venters, and Craig Kimbrell thing, when it was cooking, it was some pretty serious stuff. They were serving up a lot of strikeouts back in those days, but that was where the Braves were at that time. To put it another way, as long as we're exercising demons, the infield fly hadn't even happened at that point. That's how long ago it's been, and that's been a minute, and thankfully it'll be even further and further and further away as we move on into the future. But uh, be that as it may, the Braves and the Dodgers are a rivalry that has been built up over the past five years especially. It's just ratcheted up because this team, these two teams have faced one another three times in five years. In October, the Braves, as they were really kind of starting their ascent, their rise in the National League East in 2018, they kind of took the baseball world by surprise, winning the division, coming out of the rebuild. Ronald Acuna Jr. exploded onto the scene. So many of these young Braves players who have now kind of become veteran Braves players, I dare say, they were establishing themselves in 2018. It looked a little bit different back then. But the Braves, they got there. Then in 2019, things didn't go your way. 2020, went toe-to-toe with the Dodgers in the shortened season. Couldn't get it done to the National League Championship Series. Dodgers go on and win the World Series. But the sweet irony of it, or the payback, or whatever you want to call it is, in 2021, the Braves took the road directly through the Dodgers and to the World Series, where they did, in fact, cash in and win it all for the first time since 1995. So each of these clubs has had to beat the other one to win it all. And I think it could come down to that again here in 2023, if we're being honest and looking at the National League as a whole. There are going to be some contenders. There are going to be some surprises. There are going to be some series and some moments in October that we are just not aware of at this moment that are going to come out of nowhere. We saw a year ago with what the Philadelphia Phillies did at the Braves' expense in the National League Division Series, but they had already upended the St. Louis Cardinals prior to that. They rolled right through the NLCS and took it all the way to the World Series. For the Phillies, that had been a minute. I mean, that's a team I would keep an eye on, especially this year. You know, that's, that, that, that's a club that's built well and can get hot at the right time. They've shown that. They've got that experience. And I think they're playing some pretty good baseball right now. But the crazy thing is, no matter how well the Phillies have played over the last couple of months when they do get hot, the Braves play just as well, if not better. And you're looking at a 15-game difference in the National League East. The National League East, though, is only the first step for the Braves. You want to punch that ticket. I talked to Brian Snitker way back in the middle of February when I was down there for spring training, and I asked him, you know, what is so important about winning this division? I mean, you want to get to October, surely, but what's so important about winning this division? He said, we always look at that as our first step because when you win that division, you punch your ticket, you know that you're going in in a more favorable position, I think. I mean, you don't want to have to play an extra three-game series. You just never know what can happen there. And filing it under the you never know, look what the Phillies did to the Cardinals a year ago and before they got to the Atlanta Braves. What's it going to look like this year? We don't know. But I do think that when you start looking at this field, you got to figure out, if you're the rest of the National League, how are we going to beat this Braves team? Because the Braves, they don't lose many series. I mean, the Braves are going about three to four weeks in between series losses. And that little speed bump and that hiccup right after the All-Star break where they lost a couple of series they shouldn't, the one that they lost out in late May in Oakland that they shouldn't have lost, and a couple early on, I know the Astros series clearly is one back in April, not to dredge that up, or even losing the two out of three to the Dodgers at Truist Park back earlier in the season. Now, those are a few you could point to and say, okay, well, I mean, they're mortal, and they are. You know, they're not going to win them all. But uh, when you look at what the Braves are doing at this point, uh, they're operating at a, at a high level and a level in which the rest of Major League Baseball is going to have to take notice. And I think when they decide to, and I'm not going to hang my hat on this, but I am going to point it out, when they decide to put out new power rankings, whoever they are and whatever outlet it may be, I don't think we're going to be doing 
flavor of the week again. Flavor of the month, flavor of whatever you want to call it. The Atlanta Braves, they have essentially been all 31 flavors this season because it's not just one guy that's trying to get it done for him. It's not just the Ronald Acuna Jr. show. You've got the deepest lineup. You've got a talented rotation. You've got a bullpen that's doing work. And, you know, I, I could talk about some of those guys and we'll talk about some of those guys later, but tell you one I want to call some attention to just from this series. How about Michael Tonkin? An unsung hero in this bullpen, coming out, getting big strikeouts, throwing a scoreless inning, helping the Braves get to extras, and then talking about unsung heroes, though we have sung his praises all year long. Orlando Arcia with that big home run, just an outstanding showing by the Braves. And it was not just one guy. It is the truly the sum of all the parts that makes this team so great. We've got a lot to get into on this show. We're going to talk about some of the home run history that the Braves are currently chasing down. They've set a franchise record. What's next? The MLB record? It very well could be. And when we get into the second hour of the show, we'll talk a little bit about the waiver wire bonanza that went on at the end of August. And we'll get back into this Braves and Dodgers series. I joined Joe Davis, the voice of the Dodgers. Caught up with him a little bit earlier this week. You'll hear my conversation with him. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. And if you didn't already know, it's a pretty good one. We'll talk all about it right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I love baseball. Now back to more Graham McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game from the Kia Studios. Happy Sunday morning to you. Those of you listening to the live show, those of you checking out the podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond. Appreciate you being part of the show as well. And, of course, uh, I'd be remiss not to mention, if you want to follow along with everything i got going on, social media is the place to connect. At Grant McCauley on most platforms, at From the Diamond is where you can find the show. You can also like the show on Facebook and FromTheDiamond.com on the top navigational bar. has got all the links I think you will need to do all the connecting. But we've got so much to get into when it comes to the Atlanta Braves this week. And, you know, it, it, it's not surprising that a lot of it is good. I know every once in a while you kind of look at the things, and it's a natural, I think, response, at least to some degree, to kind of question certain plays and certain things that – Happen over the course of a 162-game baseball season. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't be human. However, the Atlanta Braves are not giving too many folks a lot to complain about these days just based on the fact that when you win, it cures a lot. And the Braves have been winning an awful lot on this road trip. They have taken eight of the first nine games, taking two out of three from the San Francisco Giants, sweeping the Colorado Rockies in a place that historically is not always kind to pitching staffs, and then going into a place that historically has not been kind to the Atlanta Braves for quite some time, and that would be Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. The first series win for the Braves was clinched with an extra inning win, thanks in part to Orlando Arcia. How about some clutch hitting from the bottom of your order? That's been one of the big things. I had Ben Verlander of Fox Sports on the show last week, and we talked about what is it that makes this Braves lineup different. He said, I really think it's 7, 8, 9, and it's not because 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 are not that not exciting, because they certainly are, but you know what to expect out of the top four in the Braves order at this point. And if you don't, then I'll get to some stats that will kind of let you know what you should be expecting out of that group. But by and large, you realize that the power of the Braves lineup, it doesn't just stop when you get past, say, the sixth spot in the order. You're not going to find easy outs. You're not going to find the soft underbelly of the Braves offense where you're going to go to get this you know, couple of outs that you need to escape an inning and to, you know, to short-circuit rallies on a regular basis anyway. I mean, no clubs going to bat 1,000 with runners in scoring position. I'm not trying to make the case that the Braves are doing something that no club in baseball history has done, but I'm telling you, they're doing this offense thing better than anybody else in baseball in 2023. Now, the Ronald Acuna Jr. MVP train picked up some steam as it stopped into the Dodger Stadium station. 
And what he's done against Los Angeles, and just what he's done in general, let's just go ahead and backtrack, start right there. But what he's doing this season and the history that he is making and the opportunity over the final month to make even more history and to put himself in not just the elite of the elite when it comes to power-speed combos, but to kind of rewrite what is possible when it comes to how many home runs and how many stolen bases that you can hit and swipe in a season. Now, Ronald's up to 184 hits. That's the most in the National League. He's got 32 home runs, batting 337 with 63 stolen bases. I went back and looked at 30-30 years and players that have done that and what the highest batting average is for a 30-30 season, and I believe it is Mookie Betts in 2018 when he batted 346 in his MVP campaign for the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, you're going to hear about Mookie Betts some, I'm sure, over the final month of the season. You've been hearing about him a lot because that month of August that he just put on there, serious respect for that. I don't care who you're playing. I don't care how soft the schedule is. I don't care which pitcher you missed. To go through a season, or excuse me, go through a month and get 50 hits and to bat 450, to basically put up slow pitch softball numbers over the course of a full Major League Baseball season, that's nothing short of impressive. But as Mookie Betts' case was being presented in a very, very, uh, I, I don't know, everything just kind of uh, accelerated, if you will, that picked up some steam. But it was almost like Ronald, by not having a crazy month like that, was kind of having to take a back seat to the guy who was definitely hot at the moment. Now, Mookie started slow in April, but you look at May, June, July, August. I mean, this had been building for a while. This is not a guy who just had one good month. This is a very good baseball player who had the month of his life. Let's put it that way. But Ronald has pretty much from April, May, June, July, August, and now on into September, continued to do the same thing just about every month with maybe a couple more home runs and maybe a few more steals here and there. But you look at his on-base percentage, the batting average, he has one month where he's hit under 300 this uh, this season, and that was batting 298. And that's when the power started to surge as well. So, you know, you'll take what you can get with Ronald Acuna Jr. What you're getting is something that's just downright historic. 123 runs scored. He's got 85 runs knocked in. I know this has been talked about a lot with Mookie Betts' case for MVP. Oh, he'd be the first guy to knock in 100 runs out of the leadoff spot in, I don't know, 20 years. And only the third guy in baseball history to do it. Well, if Ronald Acuna Jr. accomplishes that same thing in the same season, then I would say that that one kind of cancels out if we're doing the MVP case-by-case basis, which we'll probably say for another episode of the show. But Ronald getting on base at a 419 clip, slugging at a 580 clip. His OPS is back over 1,000, and he's a seven-win player in terms of wins above replacement. And what he's done in the second half has been just incredible because it's what Ronald Acuna Jr. does. Batting 348, on basing nearly 440, slugging nearly 600. He's got 11 home runs, 30 runs knocked in, 44 runs scored in his 46 games here in the second half. And just look at what he's done to the Dodgers. Homers in three straight games. The hardest hit ball on the stat cast um, for 2023 belongs to Ronald Acuna Jr. last night, his solo home run. The grand slam to join a club that didn't exist. And, you know, there's a little bit of conversation about this. Is the 30-60 thing really a club? Well, maybe not. But it's an accomplishment that no other 30-30 man had done. And we're talking about some of the best players in baseball history, whether it's Willie Mays, Barry Bonds, I mean, A-Rod, you name it. You know, Regardless of the circumstances in which the player did it, and I would stipulate that most of those guys probably did their 30-30 and 40-40 thing clean, except for maybe Jose Canseco. But again, that's another discussion for another time. But Ron Lacuna Jr. now eight home runs away from a potential 40-60 season and he might already be to 70 steals by the time he gets there. 
He's just got a chance to do some things that boggles the mind. But that's Ronald Acuna Jr., and that's why I think he is still the odds-on favorite and is, if you go look at the odds now in Vegas, they've uh, kind of moved back to the Ronald Acuna Jr. corner from the uh, very tantalizing case that Mookie Betts was making here lately as far as who's going to be the MVP. We talked about this last week, that Acuna Betts showdown has had its moments in this series. Betts hit two home runs. Acuna came within an eyelash of robbing the first one of those home runs. I mean, how much would we be talking about it if Ronald had not only hit a grand slam, but also stolen a home run from Mookie Betts? That would have been something to last. It didn't happen, but we'll take what we can get, and we've gotten a lot of good stuff. And this Braves offense as a collective is assaulting the record books when it comes to home runs, and everyone is chipping in up and down the order. I'm going to take a deep dive on this in the next segment, going to close out the, the first hour of the show with a whole bunch of talk about Braves home runs. So if you like the Braves and home runs and what they've been doing this year and you want to hear more about it, I got you covered. But they broke their single-season record on this road trip. It was 249 set by the 2019 team. Uh, we're at uh, 258 and counting are the Braves with a chance to roll right over the National League record and perhaps the Major League record by the time all said and done. Right in the middle of all this that's going on, because, again, it's not just Ron Lacuna Jr. It's not just what Matt Olson was doing uh, up until about three weeks ago where the power's kind of gone out for him. It's a, a little bit of a maybe a rolling blackout is kind of what his season is at the moment. I don't know. But still, on pace for a 50-plus homer season is nothing bad. And I do think Matt Olson's going to hit another home run again in 2023. That's my bold statement of the day. Do with that what you want to do. But the Braves offense is doing what it needs to do on a regular basis. And Marcelo Zuna has been right in the middle of this with the best stretch of his career. And he's had a couple of good ones. I'd flash you back to 2020 when Marcel came uh, within a Freddie Freeman of winning the Triple Crown in the shortened 60-game season because Freddie won the batting title, Marcel finished second, and led the National League in home runs and runs batted in. Now, that's a 60-game season, so I'm not really going to look at that Triple Crown the same way I'd look at you know Miguel Cabrera 10, 11 years ago or Kari Skremski or, or a lot of these guys that won Triple Crowns. But it still would have been quite an accomplishment, and it's what got Marcel this contract that has him around at this point was what he did in 2020. I don't think the expectation was that he would do that every single year, but you're expecting, I think, the kind of season that you're seeing this year from Ozuna, who's batting 270 with 32 home runs and 76 runs batted in thus far this year. And he has heated up something serious uh, over the month of August. Really, I went back last 35 games for Marcelo Ozuna. 14 homers, 12 doubles, 33 runs scored, 33 runs batted in. That's in a 35-game stretch. He's walked 17 times. So he's on base is like 450. He's batting 375. And he's got hits in 28 of his last 30 games. I mean, he has one hitting streak end. He goes ahead and starts another double-digit hitting streak. That's been how good this guy has been. And considering where he came from in the month of April, and I know this, this might even start to get tired because we've talked about it for so long. Well, Marcelo Zuna had a bad April, but look at him now. I mean, we've been saying that since basically late May when he completely turned his season around at that point. But it hasn't stopped. I mean, it, it cooled off a little bit for about a week and a half, maybe, after the All-Star game, but it has not stayed that way. Ozuna pushing in nearly 900 OPS at this point. And when you consider he had two hits, they were both solo home runs in the month of April or at the very end of April, and he's batting under 100. I was wondering how much longer he was going to be on the team. And fortunately for the Braves, I think they're very happy that he is currently occupying the fifth spot in their order and doing what he is doing right now. 
If you take that last 35 games for Ozuna, I always think this is interesting. Like When you get in a hot streak, what would it look like over 162 if it was sustainable, which, spoiler alert, it seldom is. I mean, Matt Olson was on an 80-homer, 200-RBI pace over the span of about a month or 40 games. Not going to happen. You know, not knock on Matt Olson, just not going to happen. But Ozuna, if you take the last 35 games, extrapolate for 162, he's on a 56-double, 65-homer, 150-RBI, 150-run pace all while batting 375. That would be pretty good. But, again, he doesn't have to do it for 162, but what he's done over the last 35, that has been one of the driving forces in this Braves you know, onslaught. This ability to hit more homers, score more runs, highest batting average, highest OPS. And, again, another guy who, along with Ron Lacuna Jr., who is the far and away best example of this, has cut his strikeouts down immensely. I mean, what Ronald has, has done is – it boggles the mind. I think I might have said this a time or three on the show, uh, today and also in the past. But Marcelo Zuna has made a case to be kind of the, the 1B amongst hitters who are enjoying perhaps the best stretch of their career. Now, Marcelo in 2017, with the 37 homers, 300-plus batting average, was an MVP candidate for the Marlins when he got traded over to the Cardinals, had not reached 30 homers since that 2017 season. It was the only time in his career he'd done it. Make a very good case he could have done it in 2020. But as far as a full season goes, this is only his second 30-home run campaign, and he's got a chance with 32 of those things, just like Ronald Acuna Jr., to make a run on 40 in the final 27 games of the season. I mean, that's very possible. And if you want to know how very possible it is, well, 14 homers in a 35-game stretch would tell me that he could hit 8 and 27. That's some very simple math. Now, talking a little bit about Matt Olson, and I'll get into him more later in the show, but um, what happened to his power stroke? I don't know that there's really a big answer to that. I feel like, especially on this road trip, he has been just off with that launch angle. A couple of, actually three hard hit balls against the Dodgers in the first game of that series, excuse me, second game of that series. And a couple that he just missed last night. And just missed might not make people feel better, but it lets me know that, you know, Matt Olson doesn't need to overhaul his swing. He doesn't need to make wholesale changes in the month of September after having the success that he's had this year. And I know that there's some highs and lows and and peaks and valleys to his production over the last couple of years. But Matt Olson in year number two with the Braves is showing you what is possible in terms of the overall power output, leading the National League and runs batted in and posting up in the middle of the order as the cleanup hitter that the Braves have very much been looking for. And one of the reasons that you make a big trade to bring in a first baseman, you had to figure out something with the whole Freddie Freeman situation and Matt Olson was the direction the Braves have gone. And I would dare say that they're pretty happy with what he's done this year. And I do think that there's going to be another hot streak in Matt Olson's future and he was one of the guys, if you remember last year, he showed up big in that Mets series in October to close out New York and take the division away. And he was one of the few Braves hitters that was really swinging it in the division series against the Phillies. Other good news on this trip as we wrap this thing up here, this segment, Ozzie Albee's back from the injured list. That is nothing but a good thing. He is a definite plus for this club, not just for what he does offensively. Another guy that could join the 30 home run club, and when he does, it'll tie his career high. But Ozzy's energy, his leadership, you know, what he does on the field, behind the scenes, in the clubhouse, in the dugout on an everyday basis, that's something that I feel like is just an X factor for this club. And we talked a lot about, well, what happens when Freddie Freeman leaves and Dansby Swanson leaves? I mean, who are the leaders on this club? Where's the personality come from? And I do think it's kind of a collective. It's not just one guy. But if I did have to make a very short list, I think I might put Ozzy Albies at the top of that list. So getting him back in there, pretty important for the Atlanta Braves and I think offensively, he's got a few things up his sleeve as 
he's having himself a pretty darn good year as well. So that's a brief look at what's been going on with this Braves lineup. But we're about to get all into the home runs and the history that the Braves are chasing because there's an awful lot of it to talk about. We'll be doing that next. I'll take a deep dive into the Braves and their home run hitting ways as we continue on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, live from the Kia Studios on a Sunday. Appreciate you joining me here as we wrap up this weekend for the Atlanta Braves, wrap up an incredible 10-game road trip out west and maybe the best in recent memory. I'm having a hard time thinking of one that might have gone any better. 10 games, the Giants, the Rockies, the Dodgers, these have been some tough places for the Braves to play. Obviously, the strength of the individual opponents has a lot to say about it, but Sometimes you take your pitching staff through Colorado and it takes a week or so to get over that. But the Braves have not shown that to be a problem in what they've been able to do in Los Angeles thus far this weekend with a chance for a four-game sweep if things go according to plan on Sunday night. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. I wanted to take a deep dive, though, into what the Braves have done better than anybody else in baseball in 2023. I would give you three guesses, but I think you only need one. That thing that they're doing, well, it's hitting home runs. Well, they're also scoring more runs than anybody else with a better batting average, better OPS. There are so many different statistics that all go into this thing, but I wanted to really key in on the home runs because the Braves had some franchise history this week on this road trip, and they have the month of September to go after even more. Orlando Arcia hit the 250th home run of the season earlier on this road trip. That gave the Braves a new franchise record breaking the 2019 club's 249 home runs. 2019 was a unique year for home runs, which I'll get into in just a moment. But the Braves accomplished that franchise history with a month left to play, which puts a lot of other records in play for this Atlanta Braves club. So 2019, the Minnesota Twins set the MLB record with 307 home runs. Right on their heels, the 2019 New York Yankees, who hit 306 home runs. The 2019 Astros also hit 288 home runs. You might be sensing that trend now. And in 2019, the Los Angeles Dodgers hit 279 long balls, and that set the National League record. As of Saturday's action, the Braves are now just 22 home runs away from setting a new National League record and surpassing that 2019 Dodgers club. 2019 was a year unlike any for the home run in Major League Baseball history. We found out after the season, and really as things were going along, according to some studies that were done, the baseball was juiced, and at the very least, there were some definite irregularities in quality control of the baseball itself. That much is certain. Major League Baseball has at least made some effort to maybe rein that back in. I know there were some conspiracy theories about the baseballs being used in Aaron Judge's home run chase a year ago, but that's a different story for a different time. There are only eight teams in total that have hit more home runs in a single season than have the 2023 Braves. Those Twins, Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers of 2019. The 2018 Yankees hit 267. The 1997 Mariners, how about that powerhouse? 264 home runs. That was in the peak of King Griffey Jr.'s career. Alex Rodriguez had also came along at that point. The 2021 Blue Jays hit 262. And the 2005 Rangers, with 260, are the next men on the hit list for this 2023 Braves squad. And that could happen, quite obviously, before the end of this upcoming weekend. I would be surprised if it didn't. 
The Braves are now on pace for 310 home runs. That obviously would be just ahead of what the Minnesota Twins did in 2019. And the Braves' home run pace has stayed pretty consistent over the past two months. I've been running the numbers just about every week, and the Braves have been right around that 306 to 310 home run pace, and that's been going on since the month of June. So this really feels like something this group can accomplish. When you start sizing up this Atlanta Braves lineup 1 through 9, you find exactly why they would be on a pace to hit 310 home runs this year. How exactly have the Braves gotten on a pace to hit over 300 home runs? I'm glad you asked. It's because everybody's chipping in, basically. Ten players have reached double digits in home runs after Travis Darno belted his 10th homer of the year on Friday. Matt Olson leads the National League with 43 home runs. Ronald Acuna Jr. has 32. Austin Riley with 32. Marcelo Zuna with 32. Then you've got Ozzy Albies with 28. Sean Murphy and Eddie Rosario each have 20. Orlando Arcia 17, Michael Harris 13, and Travis Darno has 10. 10 players in double digits in home runs? That doesn't happen too often. It's not a major league record, though, because the New York Yankees, back in 2019, they had 14 different players in double digit home runs. If you're wondering, I think the only other guy that has a chance to join them and make 11 would be Kevin Pillar. He's three home runs shy of 10 and could possibly get there if he gets a little bit of playing time here in the final month of the season. Beyond just the 10 home runs, though, the Braves have seven players with 20 or more homers. Olsen, Acuna, Riley, Ozuna, Albies, Rosario, and Murphy have all hit 20 or more home runs. That is a franchise record. The Braves also have four hitters with 30 or more home runs, with Olsen, Acuna, Riley, and Ozuna having done all of that. And if you're wondering about Ronald Acuna Jr.'s pace compared to that career-best 41 home runs he hit back in 2019... Ozzie Albies is just two home runs away from becoming the fifth Atlanta hitter to reach 30 home runs. That would be a new franchise mark as well. It's a truly incredible group that has hit an awful lot of home runs and has most of the month of September left to add on and reach some personal highs, some team highs, some baseball history. We'll all find out together. Speaking of history, if you're wondering about Acuna's pace compared to his career-best 41 home runs that happened back in 2019, He was sitting on 36 home runs through 135 Braves games. So this 40-40 club thing, which you know I've been tracking over on social media, maybe it could end up being the 40-70 club because that's the kind of pace he's on. Those numbers are definitely out there in front of him. We've talked a lot about the MVP race. I'm sure there's going to be more conversations about it before the season is over. But considering what he's already done in this Dodgers series, there's a very real chance that Acuna is going to hit eight more home runs in the final 27 games. He's had double-digit home run totals in a month before, and he seems to be on one of those binges where he can pile up a bunch of home runs in a short amount of time, which would put him in line to do the 40-40 club with 70 or more steals because he's on pace for 76 stolen bases, which, by the way, and we're not even talking about the steals, but with Ronald Acuna Jr., I guess you have to, he could set the Braves' modern franchise record. That's how incredible things are going for Ronald Acuna Jr. Let's stick a pin in that for a moment and talk about Matt Olson. Now, his pace is cooled. He has not hit a home run in nearly three weeks. Despite that, he is on pace for a 52-home run season. The question, I think, is not just is he going to hit another home run. I think the answer to that is yes. There will be more home runs in Matt Olson's future, and many of them could come in September. When he does get that started, will he have enough games to set that Braves single-season record? 
Now, that one belongs to Andrew Jones, who hit 51 home runs back in 2005. As I mentioned, Olsen is on a 52-home run pace. You might be interested to know that as of 135 games of the season, Andrew Jones had 44 home runs back in 2005. Matt Olsen is sitting on 43 home runs, so he's right there, neck and neck with where Andrew was at that time as well. Now, the next home run for Matt Olson will be a nice little personal accolade and a little bit of franchise history. He would match Andres Galarraga with 44 home runs, the most ever for a Braves first baseman. So we're not talking about a Freddie Freeman record here. We're talking about one that belongs to the big cat that could very soon belong to Matt Olson. Across the diamond from Matt Olson, talking about a little bit of franchise history, how about Austin Riley? First Braves player since Chipper Jones to hit 30 home runs in three consecutive seasons. He also joined Chipper Jones and Hall of Famer Eddie Matthews as the only Braves third baseman with three consecutive 30-homer seasons. Now, as we know, the Braves franchise is 152 years young, but Austin Riley has put together another nice season and has some elite company on that list of great Braves third basemen. Now, perhaps the hottest Braves hitter of them all, not named Ronald Acuna Jr., is Marcelo Zuna. He's batting just under 400 over the past 30 days, and he has joined the 30-home run club for just the second time in his career. Ozuna's got 32 long balls, which puts him just five away from his career high of 37. Now, we've talked a lot about Marcelo Ozuna on this show, and if you go back into the archives, there was a time back in the very end of April that it was a very real discussion about how much time could be left for Marcelo Ozuna on the Braves' active roster, and in the Braves' organization in general. When he went down to Miami and went off and finally flipped the switch to get himself back on track, he has pretty much not stopped hitting, save one slowdown in the month of July. This is a guy that has been one of the driving forces in the middle of the Braves' order, and again, in the non-Acuna category, I don't think there's been anybody hotter than Marcelo Zuna, who could set himself a new career high in home runs, and Who's to say he won't make a run at 40 the way things have been going? Now, I told you that there are four Braves that have hit 30 home runs and that Ozzie Albies could get there this month as well. But the Braves catching duo, we might want to take a good look at those guys. Sean Murphy has a career-high 20 home runs already this season. I know he's cooled significantly here in the second half, but with Sean Murphy comes Travis Darneau. That's the Braves catching duo, and it is the most productive in Major League Baseball. With Travis hitting his 10th home run on this road trip, that gives that catching duo 30 home runs. So while the Braves could have five players potentially with 30 home runs, they could have another position group, which would serve as essentially a sixth 30 home run hitter right there in the Braves order with the timeshare of Sean Murphy and Travis Darneau. It's truly incredible to see what this group has done as a whole. And then you look at Orlando Arcia with a chance to add to his career high, which is already 17 after his dramatic home run on Saturday. He can make a run at 20. He's knocking on the door right now. Maybe Michael Harris can get hot with a long ball and make a push towards 20 as well. You can't rule it out. It wouldn't be surprising to see a couple of more guys join that 20 home run club and at the very least to see Arcia jump in and perhaps make it eight Braves hitters with 20 or more home runs. That's how you make some home run history. And the Braves have 27 games to hit 50 home runs to surpass the 2019 Twins and the record of 307 home runs, the most by any club in a single season in Major League Baseball history. So there are a lot of layers and a lot of power numbers to look at 
with what the Braves are doing here in 2023. But as we wrap things up here in our discussion about the Braves' home run exploits here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, I wanted to look at a couple of other Braves clubs, the only other Braves clubs that could really hold a candle to what the 2023 squad is doing. 2019, that's the record that just fell, right? 249 home runs was the most in franchise history, and now this club is rewriting that record book. Ron Lacuna Jr. led the Braves that year with 41 home runs. Freddie Freeman had 38. Josh Donaldson, remember him? He had 37 home runs. Then you had Ozzy Albies with 24 long balls. Austin Riley had 18. Dansby Swanson hit 17 homers. Brian McCann, finishing up his career, had a dozen home runs. And fellow catcher Tyler Flowers had 11, while Adam Duvall came up from the minor leagues and hit 10 home runs for the Braves that year as well. So that gave the Braves nine different players in double digits, three different hitters with 30 or more home runs, with Acuna at 41. Ozzy Albies made four hitters with 20 or more home runs, and then five men hit at least 10 homers. Now, even though that 2019 Braves club set the record for home runs, they did not set the record for runs scored. That belongs to the 2003 club. And I've talked about this a lot here on the show. The 2003 Braves is the best offense that I can remember. And when I say best, I mean just overall completeness, not just the run scored, but you know, club batting average, all of the things that went into it. They held the home run record for a while with 235, but that's been under assault for a few years now. But a record of 907 runs scored? Well, the 2023 club is on pace for 946 runs if they can close out the season doing what they've been doing for the first five months. Back in 2003, Javi Lopez led the Braves with 43 home runs. That also set a single-season record for catchers. Gary Sheffield hit 39 home runs his second and final year with the Braves. Andrew Jones had 36 Chipper Jones, 27. Vinny Castilla with 22 home runs. Marcus Giles had 21. And Rafael Fercal and Robert Fick. There's one to keep in mind for your immaculate grid. He also had double-digit home runs. So that gave them three 30-home run hitters, one with over 40, five 20-homer hitters, and eight men with double-digit home runs on the 2003 club. 20 years ago, the Braves had an 824 OPS. That was first in the National League. The team batted 284. Those numbers sound awfully familiar because if you flash forward, you'll find the Braves leading Major League Baseball with a 276 average here in 2023 and pacing all of baseball with an 845 OPS. As of Saturday's action, the Braves were the only team with an OPS over 800. And back to home runs because I know that's what we started with. That's what we'll close with. Only two clubs have more than 200 home runs this year. It's the Braves and the Dodgers, and the Braves are 45 home runs ahead of the Dodgers thus far in 2023. It's been a remarkable season for the Atlanta Braves offense. They've got a month of the regular season to wrap it up, maybe make some history, and then they want to save some runs for the postseason because Atlanta wants to go deep into October and bring home another World Series. Well, that'll wrap things up for a look at what the Braves have done so well, better than anybody else in 2023. That's hit home runs. When we come back, we will take our trip around the big leagues and talk about some of the biggest stories from across baseball from the week that was. And we'll do it next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, more From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we embark on hour number two of the show from the Kia Studios in Midtown. 
Thanks for making me part of your weekend. And if the Braves have been a big part of your weekend, then you're probably pretty happy heading into Sunday afternoon's finale against the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Braves with their first series win out in L.A. in 11 years and a chance for a sweep. That doesn't happen too often out there either. We're going to take our look around the big leagues, though, for some of the other big stories that have been going on across the world of baseball. And we're going to stay out in Los Angeles because the Angels were among some of the clubs across Major League Baseball that made some headlines this week. And it was some curious headlines. They placed several of their notable and useful players on irrevocable waivers, which means they can be claimed by any club. This is not a trade. And if they are claimed before the month of September, well, they're postseason eligible as well. Now, waivers have been a pretty common term across baseball, but these waivers in particular were solely for claiming players and their salary and moving them from one club to another. So if you are a team that wants that player, all you have to do is agree to take on the remaining terms of that contract, and that is your player. And once placed out on waivers, unlike the old trade deadline days or the waiver trade days, this is not, okay, well, somebody made a claim. I don't want them to get him. I'm going to pull him back, and we're going to keep him. That used to be part of the gamesmanship that went on this time of year. That's no longer a thing. There is the one trade deadline, then a waiver period, and you kind of get where I'm going with this. So if you wanted to, you know, I don't know, head to the corner store and pick up a couple of players that you needed for your stretch drive and you're a contending team, this is the way that you're going to do it. And the Angels were kind of the 7-Eleven of this whole thing. Pitchers Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, who were acquired from the Chicago White Sox in a trade, uh, pitcher Matt Moore, reliever, Dominic Leone, as well as Hunter Renfro were all put on waivers and claimed. Randall Gritchick was also placed on waivers. Nobody claimed him, though, so he has to stay at the party in Los Angeles, which got a bit sad after the trade deadline when some of these players actually came over, and the Angels spent prospects on this. And they did that, and we talked about this on the show at that time about a month ago because they were hoping against hope that they would get just hot enough to ride Shohei Otani and the return of Mike Trout and some of these new additions and what they had in place to a potential wildcard berth. Then they proceeded to go directly off a cliff. I think they went 5-17 and 17 coming out of the trade deadline. Obviously, the Otani news is some of the worst that we've heard this year, just in, just in terms of you know, he, he's going to pitch again. He's still out there playing. He's still out there hitting. He's still one of the most incredible players that you're going to watch in baseball. But knowing that he's probably staring down a second Tommy John surgery and is unlikely to pitch it all in 2024. Well, you're talking about taking the shine off a season. Well, I would say that that probably did it. I'm not going to take the MVP award away from him, but it kind of takes one of the most exciting and unique things that you can possibly find in any sport off of the field and uh, unavailable to do the things that he had shown us were possible. But getting back to the Angels, I mean, they let Giolito, Lopez, and more go in a waiver claim to the Cleveland Guardians. Hunter Renfro was claimed by the Cincinnati Reds, and Leon went to the Mariners. And all these claiming teams, again, they're responsible for the money. So the Angels cleared just under $6 million from their payroll. Now, I know they wanted to bolster their postseason chances, but these moves, in case you're wondering, well, why would you just let all these players go, especially if you just traded for them? I think it's an attempt to get and stay under the luxury tax. I don't know if this pulled it all off or not, but really it's just one of those moves that um, – I don't know. There's just some questionable optics to all of this. It wasn't going to make the Angels' season any better for them to keep going. I mean, they were hoping Giolito would be an answer. I had a lot of people asking me why the Braves didn't trade for Lucas Giolito, and none of us know how he would have pitched here, but he was awful in Anaheim. So that clearly was not something that solved their problem. As the club fell out of the race over the past few weeks, so they opted to place all those players on waivers on Tuesday, 
and they all have postseason eligibility. So if any of these clubs, and the Mariners in particular, look awfully good, the Reds have a chance in the wild card. The Guardians, I don't know, is the American League Central ever over? Does anybody ever want to win it? Maybe. But maybe these Angels pitchers will help out, or maybe they'll go in there and it will not go as well as it did for Giolito out in Anaheim. But be that as it may, one of the stranger waiver tales was that of Harrison Bader, as he found out that he was put on waivers while he was watching TV, I want you to take a listen to this from the Yes Network. This is Harrison Bader explaining exactly how he found out that he may not soon be a member of the New York Yankees. How did you find out you were put on waivers today? Um, I was in the uh, lunchroom. I saw it on uh, ESPN. I guess you know, I guess it popped up somehow over there, so that's how I found out. What was your reaction when you saw that news? Uh, like, what does waivers mean? <laughs> but... You know, listen, in all seriousness, um, regardless of what happened or may happen, you know, just getting the opportunity to, uh, you know, play in this uniform, and I still hopefully do get the opportunity to play in this uniform. Uh, just everything that's happened, it's just been an absolute blessing and an absolute gift. Um, and like we all know here, you know, I'm a New York City kid, um, and I never in a million years thought I'd play in the big leagues, let alone for, uh, for New York Yankees. So just the opportunity uh, has just been incredible, and I've loved every second of it. So. Whatever happens, happens. I understand it's a business. We learn it. Um, I'm a long way away from being a, a pup coming up in the Cardinals organization. But uh, listen, uh, it's all about the ball. And uh, I just love playing ball, you know, over here. It's, it's been a blast so far. So I guess we'll find out what happens. Well, we are going to find out what happens. And in fact, we did. That's what we do here on From the Diamond. We complete the story. And Harrison Bader is now a member of the Cincinnati Reds. Mentioned Hunter Renfro, outfielder for the Angels, also picked up by the Reds, who are looking to make that late wild card push. So it's back to the National League Central for Harrison Bader with a club that very much wants him. Uh, you know, Bader is just one of those guys. Again, it's not about you know necessarily the biggest names in all the baseball moving in the waivers. You know that we just saw in these these waiver claims. These are some useful players. So if you didn't cash in at the trade deadline and you didn't want to part with those prospects, are we now going to see a trend that is okay? Well, let's wait until three or four teams decide that they no longer want to pay these deals and they dump these players out there available to be picked up. Because if you're and I talked about this uh, last week. If you're a wild card team, it's going to be very hard to explain why you didn't pick up a couple million bucks worth of this or that to maybe make the postseason when it doesn't cost you your top, you know, any of your top prospects or any minor league talent. It's a win-win for clubs that are kind of on the cusp of making the postseason or just looking for maybe that late season injury replacement that happened after the trade deadline. All of a sudden, there could be a couple of outfielders, this reliever, that starter that are out there. It's an interesting way, an interesting workaround, perhaps, for what has become the trade deadline without the waiver trade period. Now, September call-ups bring up a host of prospects to the majors. That also happens here uh, in this month, and among them, a man they called the Martian joined the New York Yankees, and he went ahead and put one into orbit in his first at-bat. Driven out to left field and deep. Going back, Alvarez turning, looking. Welcome to the big league. See ya. A home run for Dominguez in his first big league at bat. That's the call on the Yes Network by Michael K. As Jason Dominguez homered off Justin Verlander, no less, in his first big league at bat. If you know anything about the prospect game, and if you're a big card collector the past few years, Jason Dominguez's name has probably been on the tip of your tongue or maybe on your wish list if you're that card collector out there. Made his Major League debut on Friday, hit an opposite field two-run homer off Justin Verlander, and the homer, a 360-footer into the Crawford boxes off a future Hall of Famer. That's the way to start if you're Jason Dominguez. And I've mentioned, you know, when you're going through prospecting and trying to put a comp on a player of 
who they might remind you of or who, what might be their ceiling if they get to the big leagues. MLB.com did Dominguez the great service of making the two most comparable players to him as a 20-year-old prospect, by the way, and at this time he was, what, 17, maybe 16 years old. Most comparable players to Jason Dominguez, Mike Trout and Mickey Mantle. Go ahead and start the hype train right there because if you're able to live up to one or both of those guys, you're also going to the Hall of Fame. But the expectations, obviously, are extremely high. He was signed out of the Dominican Republic back in 2019. He is a switch hitter, hence the mantle um, comparison. He runs and obviously has some power. And on his first day of the big leagues and first, first day of roster expansion, was able to hit that big home run. And we're talking about a last-place Yankees team, which is weird to say because I would have to go back and look. I honestly don't know when the last time the Yankees were sitting in last place. Ten and a half games out of a wild-card spot, but that's where they find themselves here in 2023. Now, uh, when we're done with September, of course, it's on to October. The pitch clock is going to be coming along for that ride. I don't think too many people are surprised by this. It will be unchanged in postseason play. That means 15 seconds with the bases clear, 20 seconds with runners on base. They are kind of tweaking this in the minor leagues to go for the final three weeks, I believe, just 17 seconds across the board. I don't know if that'll be a thing. I know that the Players Association was kind of hoping for some tweaks in the postseason, but that's not going to be happening. And the pitch clock, just as we've seen all season long, is going to be sticking around. And there's obvious reasons why. Because the games have been markedly shorter. And even though they've gotten a little bit longer as the season's gone on, still here just in the month of August, it finished. The average game time across Major League Baseball was down 20 minutes from where it was a year ago. So that's why you're going to continue to see the pitch clock, even in the games that matter the most. Now, the Mets, they're not going to be going to October. I mean, they may be going somewhere individually on vacations and whatnot, but they're not going to be playing in the postseason this year. Some of their traded players are going to be, like Verlander, and one other such man is Max Scherzer. He was given a video tribute at City Field, which I always find these to be amusing because sometimes, and I don't know if teams are trolling or just playing around or, or just trying to have a little fun or if they're just bored for some of the players that have gotten video tributes. But Johan Camargo got one and, and got a National League championship ring with the Phillies, and then the Giants designated him for assignment 48 hours later. Why is Johan Camargo getting a video tribute? And I, and I like Johan. Don't, don't get me wrong. But a video tribute? So the Mets, as you might imagine, with the season that they're having, they put that up on the video board, and then about the time it, it piped down and Scherzer was shown there live in his Texas Rangers uniform, he was greeted with a whole bunch of boo birds, and that's not surprising considering the comments that he made on his way out of New York about where the Mets were headed, uh, what was going wrong with the Mets this season. There were reports that he and Justin Verlander didn't get along. A lot of different things came out uh, as Max Scherzer was busy spilling the tea on the Mets deciding that they don't want to be a contender next year, maybe not even in 2025, and he was traded off to the Texas Rangers. Let's hear a little bit about Scherzer discussing with reporters how exactly the Mets clubhouse was. It's been described as at least dysfunctional, and that might be putting it kindly, but here's Max Scherzer's take. No, it was not at all. We actually had a great clubhouse. We had great uh, veterans in the clubhouse, everybody included. Um, you know, That's definitely not the reason why we lost. Uh, we, we were a tight-knit group, had a lot of fun together. Um, you know, all the stuff with Ver and I, that, that just, Ver and I are actually on a better page now than we were when we started the season. So we're, we're much better off than we've ever been. So, you know, that, that was an anonymous quote. You never know the context of that, so I don't even want to speculate on it. How, how so are you guys better off? We're in a better spot. Or? We just are. We're just in a better spot. That's the best way to say it. Well, the better spot they are is Verlander's in Houston and Scherzer's in Arlington. So, you know, be that as it may, that's just kind of where we're at. The other interesting thing coming out of this whole Mets deal 
the report and then the immediate rebuttal that Pete Alonso may be the next guy getting traded out of New York. So things are a long way from settled up there in Flushing, but as far as their playoff chances, I believe those have been settled for a while. We're going to continue our trip around the big leagues, but we're going to go back out to Los Angeles and going to check in with my buddy Joe Davis. He is the play-by-play voice of the L.A. Dodgers. You hear him on the National Fox broadcast as well. Had a chance to catch up with him earlier this week to talk about the matchup of the Dodgers and the Braves, the Braves and the Dodgers, inextricably linked this rivalry, this budding rivalry here uh, that's going on this weekend. We'll hear from Joe Davis right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in to Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on a Sunday as we continue with Hour 2 of the show and our trip around the big leagues. And a lot of things were happening this past week, but I don't know that any series across baseball was going to be any bigger than the one that we've been staying up late every single night watching that's the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Braves entered this series with the best record in baseball. The L.A. Dodgers entered this series on an incredible hot streak with the best month by any team all season long, including the Braves, with respect to the outstanding June that Atlanta put together. All of the winning that's been going on for both teams set them up for this rivalry series and a showdown of National League powerhouses with MVP candidates, and we've seen the Braves really take it to the Dodgers. Holding on for that 8-7 victory in Game 1, a 6-3 victory in Game 2, and then the extra innings thriller in Game 3 to take the first three contests pending the outcome of some Sunday afternoon baseball out in Los Angeles. I had a chance, though, this week to catch up with a buddy of mine. His name is Joe Davis. You've probably heard him doing some national broadcasts on Fox. He, of course, is the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I wanted to share my conversation with him as the Braves and Dodgers squared off for what could be a preview of the National League Championship Series. Thrilled to be joined by Joe Davis here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. He, of course, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Among the many hats he wears, you can hear him throughout the playoffs on Fox. You can hear him calling NFL games. Joe, I know this is an exciting time of year for both of us, but I imagine for you, things are about to get a little crazy. Yeah, this is my crazy, extra crazy stretch here, Grant, these next couple months. And what a way to kick it off here with this four-game series between these two teams. Yeah, absolutely tremendous, and I think that when you look at the story between these two clubs the last few years, which we'll get into, you know, it just kind of ratchets up the excitement level for what we're seeing play out this weekend. And the Braves and Dodgers, I mean, they've built, Joe, I think, one of the best rivalries in baseball over the past five seasons. You've watched it all come together as it's transpired, so it's no surprise that these two teams are involved in a series that has some postseason implications before we even get to October, the battle for baseball's best record, and Home field advantage throughout, which I think both of these teams would like to have very much. Yeah, and you're right. It does have a lot of layers of a true rivalry where you now have the history. Three of the last five postseasons these teams have faced off. Mm -hmm. Knocked each other out on the way to winning their first championship in forever in 2020 and in 2021. Best two teams in baseball this year with the best two players in the National League this year. And you line all those things up, and it sure didn't disappoint last night in the first game. No, it did not. And we saw both of those players, which we'll get to shortly, the MVP candidates in Ron Lacuna Jr. and Mookie Betts. Or is it Mookie Betts and Ron Lacuna Jr.? We'll find out a little bit later this winter. But both of these teams are putting together what could be and should be 100-win campaigns. They're leading their respective divisions. They're doing so in remarkably similar circumstances from their performance on the field to the MVP candidates we just mentioned, and which we'll get into more in a moment, and the starting rotation and pitching issues that have been an ongoing battle for Atlanta. Well, 
Los Angeles has also had to deal with some of that. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the Dodgers have managed to turn that corner in the month of August and get seemingly everything clicking at the same time for what was an incredible month for this club. Yeah, the offense, Grant, has been great all year, or at least very good all year. The bullpen was bad through mid-June, best in baseball since late June. Rotation was figured to be a strength, but then it starts dealing with all these injuries. And I think those injuries kind of took a toll in July. They had the highest ERA for the starting rotation in a calendar month since the team had moved to Los Angeles in Mm. 1959 in July. So they followed that by what a lot of people looked at is kind of laying an egg at the trade deadline, not getting Eduardo Rodriguez settling for Lance Lynn, it looked like. And Lynn struggled last night, but he had been fantastic prior to last night. And everybody kind of rounded into shape in that month. So this is the, you know, the month of August was when everything kind of came together. They've all taken turns. The different phases have been excellent, but all three phases, offense, starting pitching, bullpen, were clicking that month. Yeah, when you're able to get all of that clicking, much like the Braves did back in June, you can put together a very special month, and the Dodgers certainly just did one of those. You mentioned the starting pitching rotation being as high as it had been since the club moved to Los Angeles. I know the Atlanta Braves were in a similar case yet again with the Dodgers after the trade deadline, having not really done that much. A lot of people were expecting the Braves to go out and maybe trade for a starter. Instead, they just kind of banked on Max Fried coming back and being Max Fried, having Kyle Wright possibly in September to impact those plans, and needing some other guys to really step up, and I think they've been able to do that. But yeah, as you mentioned, an ERA that's that high for the first time in, what, just under seven decades, you don't think about that with a staff that still has Clayton Kershaw, but an incredible month all around for L.A., an incredible month for Mookie Betts. I don't know if we have enough time on this call for me to run down all of the things that he accomplished, and you know that all so well. The short version, though, he led MLB in just about everything a hitter wants to lead the league in. What's behind the second half surge for Mookie, that special month of August? Because it looks like to me from the outside, he's playing his best baseball since putting on a Dodgers uniform. Yeah, it, it really has. You know, you go through July and it's like he, he was excellent. And, you know, he looked like one of the best players in baseball. And I kept on comparing it to his MVP 2018, taking a glance every few days. And it mm-hmm. just was nowhere close, which was making me think, Man, how good was he in 18? If we're seeing him this good right now and it's not close to what he is in 18, well, you look a month later and he essentially is where he was at in 2018, which was one of the best individual seasons in baseball history. Yep. So his month of August, I think it, you know, it took his season from good to otherworldly and it took the MVP race from a done deal to a dead heat. It did, and with Ron Lacuna Jr. doing some of the things he was doing, a lot of people, myself included, couldn't really see somebody else out there who was doing as much as Ronald was doing for as long as he was. But one big month was just a continuation of Mookie slowly starting to build some momentum. He had a slow month of April, but I know a lot of people have said, you know, how much can one month impact the MVP race? I think they're kind of selling bets a little bit short because while August was absolutely absurd, this is a guy who has kind of been the beating heartbeat of this Dodgers lineup. He sets the tone in the same way that Ronald does that for the Braves. Yeah, and the advantage that the Dodgers like to point to when you're looking at those two guys and and comparing them for MVP is what Mookie's defensive versatility does for the rest of the roster. So he's above average in right. He's above average at second base. He's playing second base every day against righties at this point. And what that's done is it's allowed the Dodgers to get Jason Hayward's bat into the lineup. Mm -hmm. His 850 OPS in right field, his five gold gloves in right field. Instead of essentially Miguel Vargas at second base, 
and Vargas struggled so much he's down in AAA. So, you know, it's not just what Mookie does as his stat line. It's what it means for the rest of the roster. And when you're looking at valuable, most valuable player in terms of what he means for his roster, that's a layer that that is pretty unique to Mookie Betts. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about whose idea that was. I know Betts has played a little bit of infield here and there as needed, but as much as he's doing it this year, I know it's probably something he'd volunteer for, but who really kind of put that plan in motion, and could you have seen it playing out in the way that it has this year? Well, he's been taking ground balls most days since he got to the Dodgers, and even before that, it's been part of his routine. He was an infielder his entire life until a month before the Red Sox called him up to the major leagues. Right. He was blocked on the infield by Dustin Pedroia, so they said, hey, we got to get this kid's bat up here. Go learn how to play the outfield. And he never really looked back. Got to the majors as an outfielder, turned into a gold glover there, and just stayed there. But he still loves playing the infield. He has stayed ready to play the infield over his decade in the majors by that daily work. He had done a little bit of it, as you said, Grant, in recent years. But then uh, this year, it just kind of it came to a spot where the Dodgers needed him to. It made too much sense to not have him do that. And he is more than open to it. It's something that he really enjoys doing. And he feels like it kind of throws him back to his days as a kid, just going out and, and having a blast. Well, you might as well go out there and have fun while you're at it. Chatting with Joe Davis, voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Of course, you hear him on the national broadcast on Fox as well. He joins me on the WadeFord.com hotline on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game from the Diamond with Grant McCauley. So Betts has been fantastic this season. Freddie Freeman is unsurprisingly having a Freddie Freeman season, which is almost always fantastic. On the brave side, though, we've got Ronald Acuna Jr. operating on a level I don't think any of us have ever seen before. He's already made some baseball history with the 30 homers and the 60 steals. That's something that makes him unique. But his entire game, I feel like, Joe, has been elevated beyond any reasonable expectation. And he's doing all of this atop the best Braves lineup I think we've ever seen. I don't know that there's one criteria for an MVP season. In fact, I would say that there's not. But I think we're looking at the three players in this series to check an awful lot of boxes in Betts, in Acuna, and, of course, in Freddie Freeman. Yeah, and here's the thing with Acuna. The, the most impressive thing for me with Acuna, it's not the home runs and it's not the stolen bases. It's that he's cut his strikeout rate in half mm -hmm. from striking out more than your average hitter to the fourth best strikeout rate in baseball. So it's just been, a, as you said, beyond any reasonable expectations, I think calling it a resurgence, calling it a comeback from the knee injury is underselling what he's become. This is a new, not just improved version of Ronald Acuna, a completely different new version of Acuna that I don't know if anybody saw coming. Yeah, and I think he felt like, clearly, I mean, there was a lot to prove from the version that we saw a year ago, which was timid, if you will, maybe afraid to really go all out and clearly dealing with some pain and maybe some residual effects of that knee surgery. But you talk to his teammates now, and I'm sure as you talk to other people around baseball and even us broadcasters, when we're sitting around just kind of talking about, okay, well, what's this guy doing? What's making him so special? What are you seeing? You're seeing everything from Ronald Acuna Jr. And it's been pretty remarkable to see that. And his teammates, I think, have just kind of marveled at what he's been able to do this year, not just 30-30, but 30-60. And who's to say if there's not some other club out there that he's going to create going down the stretch? Now, uh, Joe, I hate to flash back to last October, but both of these teams clearly had unfinished business with their early exits in 2022. As you look around the league at the wild card race, which is far from settled, 
Who do you think could be trouble for the Dodgers, the Braves, or really just maybe that team to watch that's trying to punch its ticket to the postseason? I think it's the same team that uh, the Braves learned about last year in that situation, and that is the Phillies. Mm -hmm. And that creates an interesting wrinkle when you're talking about the Dodgers perhaps trying to chase down that one seed and home field advantage. I think careful what you wish for when it comes to going for that one seed because the one seed is going to be on the side of the bracket of the Phillies. And they very clearly, to me at least, are the scariest of those next tier of teams. I think you can make a case for Milwaukee with their starting pitching, but uh, for me, Philadelphia is the team you want to avoid. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see who does grab those other few spots. We've seen at times this year the Reds be an exciting up-and-coming team. I think the Chicago Cubs kind of surprised some folks by not selling some pieces and deciding to stick and stay in that race, and they have. Milwaukee, of course, in the Central, as you mentioned. And I've been kind of waiting here for the Miami Marlins to maybe make that push. I thought maybe they'd make a few waiver claims, and the Marlins have felt like a club that might be one. If it could get into October, that could be troublesome, but they're going to have to figure out a way to get there. But I think you're on to something with the Phillies because that's a team that has power. That's a team that has the kind of pitching that you need to make a run through October. They did it last year. We all saw it firsthand in Atlanta. And, of course, you saw it firsthand all the way to the World Series. Uh, Joe Davis, voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, joining me here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley as we close out here. I wanted to flash us back to something on a little bit more of a, a personal level. Back in the day, about a decade ago, you and I were calling some minor league baseball games in the Rays system. I know we're both so fortunate to work in and around the game that we love, but it's been really fun to see all the things that have come together for you in Los Angeles and with all of the national broadcasting and everything that you've been doing, everything in between. I still think calling a baseball game is the best job in the world, but how much fun are you having these days? Yeah, so much fun, Grant. I, I appreciate your kind words, and the feeling is mutual. But it's, it's so easy to remind yourself how lucky you are when you get to the ballpark and especially the view that we get at Dodger Stadium you know, looking out over the mountains and the palm trees. and I pinch myself often, and uh, we were talking before we hit record here, Grant, like it's a pretty easy job covering these two teams, delivering as much fun and good news as we get to. So I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I, I'm uh, as lucky of a guy as I could ever have imagined being. Well, Joe, continued success to you. I really appreciate you carving out some time to join me here on the show, and I look forward to talking with you at some point in the postseason because we're all going to know what that picture looks like here come about 30 days from now. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to our next chat. Okay, Grant. Me too, bud. I think one of the most fun things about baseball, at least in my time around the game and in the game and working in broadcasting, is you just never know where the road's going to take you. And in 2012, calling minor league baseball games for the Tampa Bay Rays organization, I was in high A. Joe Davis was in double A. So anytime a player moved up a level, well, it went from me to him and then, of course, all the way on up to the big leagues, hopefully for some of these guys that are still hanging around and enjoying big league careers all these years later. But you know, Joe's had so much success. Great to catch up with him and great to get his insights on what has been a crazy series, a great series, as it turns out, for the Atlanta Braves. Joe and I had only seen the first game of this series before Friday and Saturday's outcome gave Atlanta its first series victory in Los Angeles since 2012. So when you talk about it being a minute, I guess I timed this thing out pretty well because that's about the time Joe Davis and I got to know each other. Be that as it may, we've got a lot more Braves to talk about. We're going to turn our attention back to this club, look at some of the big stories for the pitching staff, and of course the week to come as the Atlanta Braves return home to Truist Park to host the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll get into all of that next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. 
more from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I am Grant McCauley. We are wrapping up this edition of the show. We have packed an awful lot of Braves and baseball goodness into it. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard, well, we'll be here each and every weekend. Going to bounce around a little bit with college football and, of course, the NFL back. Uh, but we're also going to be available wherever you get your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond there. You can find it on the Odyssey app. Make sure you're connected on social media. Find me at Grant McCauley, the show at From the Diamond on most platforms. You can like the show on Facebook as well. And if you need links to any and all of those things, fromthediamond.com is the place you can find those. We're going to get out of here, but we have some pitching to talk about as we have devoted much of the show to the Braves' offense, and for good reason, because there's a lot of history going on. Ron Lacuna Jr., the overall lineup, the assault on a single-season home run record in all of baseball. It's a good time to be a member of the Braves' offense in 2023. But the Braves' pitching staff are the recipients of all of this offense, all of this run support, and they've been getting quite a bit of it, and they've also been pitching extremely well and the things that you needed to see coming down the stretch, and this is no surprise, and if you've been listening to the show for a while or if you just tuned in, let me go ahead and, and throw out there the importance of getting the ace of your staff back down the stretch. Well, I don't know that that could be overstated. And Max Fried is back and back in a big-time way. What he did against the Los Angeles Dodgers with seven scoreless innings on Friday I think was just kind of the verification, the validation that you might have needed that Max Fried is capable of throwing 100 pitches, of going to toe-to-toe with one of the better lineups in baseball, and doing that thing that Max Fried is capable of doing. Seven scoreless, a season-high 10 strikeouts, one shy of his career high, which I don't believe he'd accomplished since 2019, so it's been a minute. But 10 strikeouts in that game, 11 strikeouts a career high. Maybe we'll see that before the season's over. Who knows? But I know that Max Fried is a guy who is uh, very, what's the word I would say? He's a little bit hard on himself, you know, in, in terms of how he evaluates his starts, whereas from the outside looking in, uh, for example, that one against the San Francisco Giants to start the road trip, I thought he was perfectly good. He made one mistake, a two-run homer, but the Braves won the game, and Max Fried got through six innings, and everything looked pretty good. Then you hear Max Fried talk about it afterwards, and you would think that, well, he got, must have got knocked out in the third or fourth inning, wasn't able to do the things that the Braves needed him to do today. He's going to you know, look to get back on track in five days. But no, that's just the, the level to which the bar that Max Fried is striving for is beyond what I think most pitchers or or most players maybe even really think about like you just don't set it quite that high because you have to understand a baseball among the many things that it is is a game of failure and failure and your adjustments to that and the adjustments that's the other part of baseball is the constant game of that Max Fried does it as well or better than anybody that's just kind of who he is and that I think is one of the things that makes him great it's what gives him that edge and Max Fried most certainly has one of those and for the Dodgers he used that edge to carve them up and the Braves took the second of the first three games of this series, and Atlanta, of course, with this series victory, has to be feeling pretty good about its trajectory home from a road trip that, as I've talked about several times, and I'll just mention it again at the expense of being a broken record, I've seen the Braves make some eight, nine, ten-game trips out west and come home four and six with a couple of series losses, go to Colorado and have your whole pitching staff implode. There are just things that could happen on the road that did not happen to the Braves this time around. And this is the last major road test for this team. Clearly, you've got the rest of September to figure it out. The Braves will go out a couple of more times, but no cross-country trips ahead until you get to the postseason in October. And I hear that the travel and the days off are a little bit more helpful when you get to those particular series. But this 10-gamer for the Atlanta Braves, and of course, pending the outcome of Sunday, has been extremely good, and the Braves should be very happy with that heading into the off day 
on Labor Day on Monday. But Max Fried, one of the big reasons why the Braves were able to take a game against the Los Angeles Dodgers on Friday. But Spencer Strider, I think, is a guy that maybe there are some starts, and I'd say four or five, maybe even six of them, that he's throwing so well and then he runs into that one mistake. And the one mistake for him against the Los Angeles Dodgers in the opener was a three-run homer by Mookie Betts. And look, there's no shame in giving up a home run to Mookie Betts. He's been doing that to a lot of folks over the course of his career and doing it to a lot of pitchers over the course of the month of August, which, as we mentioned earlier, was historically pretty outstanding. Now, Ron Lacuna Jr. came within an eyelash of pulling that ball back into the ballpark and robbing Mookie Betts of a three-run homer that got the Dodgers back into the game. And the Dodgers continued to hit home runs. They got Joe Jimenez twice. They got A.J. Minter. Those are solo shots. And the Braves were able to hang on for their 8-7 lead because, as you might know, if you've listened to the show earlier or just at all or watched the Braves game this year, Atlanta hits quite a few home runs itself and hung on for that 8-7 victory. But lost in all of that, I think, was a start by Spencer Strider that it just continues to show that the strikeouts, they continue to pile up. Nine more punchouts against the L.A. Dodgers. And I just look at Strider and what he's doing, and he's in the midst of doing it in fewer innings than just about anybody. So I was trying to find just recent comparable seasons that might show you where Spencer Strider, with 245 strikeouts and 159 in a third innings, where you know, how often does that happen? And not incredibly often, because the seasons that I'm finding that are similar, with at least 159 innings pitched, were Garrett Cole, who set the strikeouts per nine record for a full season back in 2019 when he punched out 300 batters. And you can find Randy Johnson back in 2001. Now, when you're on a list with a big unit, and it has to do with strikeouts, you're doing some things right. 2001, Randy Johnson struck out 372 batters. He came within 11 of Nolan Ryan's all-time record. That is an impressive feat. And when you think about what Randy Johnson did, well, he did it in fewer innings than Nolan Ryan did it when he said it back in the 70s. And now Spencer Strider is like the next iteration of that. I'm not telling you he's going to strike out 370 guys. I wouldn't put it past him if he had the innings to do it. But he's on a pace to strike out an awful lot of guys in a fewer amount of innings than just about anybody else has. But Randy Johnson, through 23 starts in 2001, had thrown 162 innings. That's what it takes to qualify for the ERA title or be a qualified starting pitcher, just in case you're wondering. Had 251 strikeouts in 162 innings. As I mentioned, Spencer Strider, 245 strikeouts in 159 and a third. So a difference of one-tenth of a strikeout. 13.84 Ks per nine for Spencer Strider. 13.94 Ks per nine to that point for Randy Johnson, who finished the season with 13.76 strikeouts per nine. And I mentioned Garrett Cole owns that record, 13.81. So if Strider maintains his pace, he's going to have the highest strikeouts per nine by any starting pitcher in a full season. Have to stipulate Shane Bieber and Jacob deGrom both posted huge numbers in the 2020 season, but they did that in 10 starts. So not knocking them, and the record book is not knocking them either, but there's a big difference in going out and doing this 25, 30, 35 times, whatever the case may be, and only having the 60 games to work with, but that is something we can talk about some other time or never. It doesn't really matter to me. But the strikeouts and Spencer Strider we're going to talk about an awful lot, but it brought me to the other point that I wanted to make about Spencer, and I don't know why some segments of the social media experience that you get Love Spencer Strider and others. They just don't think he's that great. He just strikes out batters. But what does he really do beyond that? Maybe he's overrated. I think he's properly rated. That's just my opinion. Strider 16-4 and four this year with, I believe, maybe five more starts, depending on what the Braves plan to do and once they wrap up the NL East, and depending on how things look for the you know, race for best record and home field advantage. We'll see how many more starts Spencer Strider makes. But he's got a shot at 20 wins. 
You get to 20 wins, typically, for better or for worse, as imperfect as that stat is, usually you're going to get some Cy Young votes just based on that fact alone. A 3.56 ERA is about three-quarters of a run higher than what is expected earned run average would be. And as I mentioned, 245 strikeouts, only 49 walks. He has bumped his walk rate down, but he's given up some more home runs and some more hits this year and more barrels this year than he did a year ago when you start to get inside the StatCast data especially. But I started looking through the National League Cy Young candidates, and Garrett Chapman, my producer, brought this up as well because Spencer Strider may not be the only man on the Braves staff to get some Cy Young votes. And you might be looking and saying, well, well, Max Fried's missed too much time. He's not going to get Cy Young votes. And, well, Kyle Wright, he won 20 games last year, but he's not going to get back in time to make that kind of impact. Bryce Elder, he's an all-star. That's been a good story. But all of a sudden, who does that leave? Well, it leaves the veteran Charlie Morton, and I'm going to get to him in a second. But the Cy Young candidates across the NL – I don't really feel like there's a clear favorite. There's a lot of guys who are having good seasons, but if you start to stack them all up, nobody is having that one undeniable year where it's like, okay, I'm watching this guy. He's a Cy Young Award winner. It's just going to happen. This guy's throwing a perfect game. This guy's striking out 300 batters. This guy's got 20 wins and an ERA barely over two. I mean, basically the kinds of things that Clayton Kershaw has done over the course of his career that basically every time he comes into the year you look at, at least for about a decade, well, this guy could win the Cy Young. But I think Spencer Strider's got a pretty good chance. I looked at Zach Wheeler of the Philadelphia Phillies. He's 10-6 and six with a 362 ERA, 185 punch-outs, 30 walks. Just going to go by some of the old-school kind of triple crown statistics here. Zach Gallen was having a great year for Arizona, still is, but he's faded in the second half. He's 14-6 and six with a 332, 182 strikeouts, 37 walks. Now, Blake Snell is the only other National League pitcher, I believe the only other pitcher in baseball, perhaps, at least the National League, with 200 strikeouts. He's got 201 of those. And a 250 ERA, but he's 12 and 9, and he's walked 89 batters. So there are some blemishes, I guess, to some of these guys. Justin Steele, meanwhile, who's part of an upstart Chicago Cubs team hoping to make the postseason, he's 15 and 3 with a 269 ERA, 141 punchouts, 51 walks. Those guys plus Spencer Strider, I expect you'll find these guys in the top 10 when you look at the Cy Young voting. What order? I have absolutely no idea, but I would make a pretty strong case that the major league strikeout leader, Spencer Strider, should be at or near the top of that list. And it is for uh, Blake Snell, the only other National League pitcher with 200-plus strikeouts. That's how I had the search filtered. But how about Charlie Morton? This guy, who had four absolute clunker starts after one good one out of the All-Star break. And you started to wonder, all right, was well, he going to figure it out? Because if he doesn't, the Braves are going to have to make some plans for their postseason rotation that are going to be very interesting if Charlie Morton pitches his way out of that picture. And about the time that people started to wonder about that, well, the last four starts, and in particular the last three happened, and Charlie completely turned his season around yet again and I think has thrown some of his best baseball in a Braves uniform. He's 14-10 and because he lost four straight starts, so the losses are there. 329 ERA, though, is top five in the National League, 165 strikeouts. You give Charlie Morton five more starts, four or five more starts, he strikes out eight or nine guys, he's going to be over 200 strikeouts again, and that's just something Charlie Morton seems to find his way to and his late season surge, or excuse me, late career surge, not just late season here, is the kind of stuff that I think a lot of starting pitchers would love to have. His fastball is still 96, 97 miles an hour, an elite of the elite curveball. And that was the pitch that had escaped him and wasn't generating the results he needed when he went through that lull. He has managed to solve that problem as well. So just kind of a, a, a big picture look at the Cy Young and a couple of Braves that I think should finish, maybe even in the top five. And for Spencer Strider, I just don't see another pitcher that is making a bigger and better case than he is. So I'm going to go ahead and say Cy Young, why not? Major League strikeout leader, I think winning a Cy Young would be pretty apropos 
Uh, also in this starting rotation, Bryce Elder has not been bad lately. In fact, I feel like the swing and miss is just what's not there for him like it is for Morton and Strider, but a very encouraging Saturday start where he was kind of grinding it out and getting the pitches, getting the outs that he needed to against a very tough Dodgers squad to toss six innings of one-run ball. It may not have felt like it at times, but Bryce Elder's just gotten the job done more times than not this season. And I know it's been kind of up and down, a little bit of a roller coaster ride in the second half. He's done some pretty impressive things. You know, I can't get out of here without talking about Darius Vines for a moment. I know he was optioned back down to the minor leagues, but you make your major league debut at Coors Field, a lot of managers or, or teammates might just pat you on the back and say, good luck, kid. This is going to be a weird ride. They're not all like this. But Darius Fines went out and tossed six innings of two-run ball, struck out five. He looks like he could earn a start if the Braves need somebody to help stretch this rotation at some point in September. And at the very least, you put your name on, sign the guest book here. You're a major leaguer at this point, and maybe he can pitch his way into the Braves' plans moving forward. Speaking of September call-ups, though, Dylan Lee, Forrest Wall have joined the club. Ben Heller also called up. He took Darius Vines' place for now as he was optioned back down to AAA. But a lot of things going well for the Braves pitching staff. And a lot of things going well for this Braves club in general. They take the series from the Los Angeles Dodgers. They'll get an off day on Monday. Then it's a three-game set against the St. Louis Cardinals. And then the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to roll into town next weekend. And, of course, circle September the 9th on your calendar. Andrew Jones' number will be retired. You might want to be out there at Truist Park for one of those things. That's going to wrap us up for what was a jam-packed edition of From the Diamond. Appreciate you riding along with me. As always, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you tune in right here on 92.9 The Game. I'll be here each and every weekend. Thanks again to Joe Davis for making some time for me this week. Thanks to Garrett Chapman for helping me out here behind the glass. And thanks to all of you for joining in. I'm Grant McCauley, and until next week, this has been From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. So long, everyone.